So uh, today I wanted us to look at, we did Reformation Through the Blood of Christ on last week, and that really focused on how God's blood cleanses us. We looked at the propitiation of the blood, justification, redemption, and forgiveness. These are all huge theological terms. And we established the blood of Christ in us does a work that is deeper than we could ever imagine. And how important it is from last week and the week before of us to really take in the life of Christ, not just to believe with our minds. Uh, today I wanted us to go a little bit further, according to the Holy Spirit, and we're looking at reformation, being reformed or reshaped through Obedience. Ooh. I know. Oh. <laughs> you might as well just curl your toes back. Ugh. None of us like to hear the word obedience. Kids don't like it. We don't like it. By nature, the word obedience tells us that someone has authority over us. And they're placing a demand on us that we don't want. Because you don't have to obey if it's what you wanted to do. You're just agreeing, okay? So off the top, this is all bad stuff for any of us that are human, okay? Someone has authority over us. They have something that they want us to do, and we don't want to do it. That's pretty much obedience in a nutshell. We didn't like it as kids. And then when we grew up, we were like, finally, finally, I can make my own decisions, choices. I ain't got to obey you. No, I, if I don't want to brush my teeth, I ain't got to brush my teeth. Then we learned that brushing our teeth every day is imperative. Yes. It's, it's a necessary thing as an adult, okay? As a kid, okay, you're learning. As an adult, what is wrong with you? It's a little tart in this region, right? Certain laws and rules that our parents set in place, we now as adults recognize that was so good for us. All right? And then others, we say, I ain't doing that and never did ever again. I never did make my bed like that ever again. <laughs> Overall, as humans, we don't like obedience because of our fallen nature. What I mean by that is once we fell into sin, and those of us that continued to sin when we got here, you know, we still sin. All right? That aspect of our lives has caused a difference between who God is and who he caused us to be. So if we're not who he wants us to be, it's really hard for us to walk in complete fellowship with him. So thus he gave us his son to be the, the intermediary between the two, to allow us to have fellowship with God being in a non-perfected state, right? Because he, he, now he just has fellowship with his son and we're in his son, so if de facto, we get the fellowship. But ultimately, if you would try to fellowship with him by ourselves, uh, no, okay? It's like trying to walk with somebody as a best friend and y'all have completely different lifestyles, completely different thoughts, perspectives of life. It just does not work, right? So obedience is one of those things that is necessary to kind of get us to work with God very closely. And uh, the thing goes awry, all right? It just, it just goes awry. It, it, it never, it's an oop and a dupe. It's open to dupe all the time, uh, primarily because our will is so strong. Um, our desires are so strong, right? What we want, what we think, our opinions are so strong. And not only that, but the circumstances that we were born into place demands on us that are so great 
that it's like trying to push through gravity to go in a different direction. Does that make sense? Like, if I came in and you guys hadn't eaten for, I don't know, 25 days. Ooh, that's hungry, right? And I showed up with one loaf of bread. And I said to each of you, please, only take half a slice. After not eating for 25 days, your hunger level is sky high, right? And you're looking at this one loaf of bread, mentally counting how many people are in the room, dividing that by two to see how many is half, can I get half? Somebody inevitably is going to do what? One more. They might, they might take more. They might, you know what? See, and they, we justify it, don't we? Yeah. What they see, they they didn't have to do as much as I did. So technically, I need a full loaf, slice of bread is what I need. So now it's the scarcity of of certain things, plus our need for these things and our justification for why we should have them that really makes obedience very difficult. We were born in a world that is dying, so there's scarcity. There's scarcity of food resources, even your life. You have a scarcity of time. You only get so much. And all of this is interwoven into our fallen DNA. It's very hard to escape the idea of, oh, it'll all be okay, just live free. No, it won't be okay because somebody's gonna take a full slice of bread and then I'm gonna be in the back of the line. You're gonna be arguing who's gonna be in the front, who's gonna be the back. You know, it's gonna be a whole, this is one of the aspects of why obedience is so hard. It's not just our desires that we have to overcome. It's how we were placed into this earth that also is challenged and challenged, challenges our nature. To those who are born in Christ are born again. They're giving a new nature. So something about this new nature should allow us to not have to claw and fight to be at the front of the line. But most often, it does not. And that's what we have to figure out today. Why? If I'm a new being in Christ, am I still clawing to be at the front, to be on the top, to be at the beginning? Do you understand? To have more. Why am I still feeling this overwhelming need to just get after everything that could be kept from me? And now black gospel is the same. The black church, it's yours. You can have it. I'm telling you, Minister Hudson, you could agree that this new age gospel in the African-American community is nothing but a new form of, 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 of financial wealth, that prosperity message. Now black, we just reinvented the prosperity message. But rather than saying, you know, God wants you to be rich, we say, God wants you to break through. God wants you to have the best. God wants you to be on top. God wants to make sure you have everything you want. Th that, that. That's, that's the same thing. That, that's, the, that's the same thing. Well, we just made your intention sound noble and honorable, right? Made it sound real honorable. Ooh, he wants, that is, he wants me to be happy. He does. That's what it is. Rather than God want me to be rich because everybody said that, mm, that ain't right. Mm-mm, mm-mm, right? Aha. Okay, so obedience. Now, when we first get saved, Obedience is a little easy. Anybody ever notice that? When you first rededicate your life to Christ, when you first accept him, you'll be like, I don't want none of that. I am done with that. 
you can miss me on all of that. I don't fool up. You let all your old friends go. You want to go out and smoke? Nah, man, I ain't even into that. I mean, I love you. I mean, it's so easy to say no and to be obedient. I mean, you just, I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go to the Bible study. I'm going to sing all the songs. I'm going to give our tithes and offerings. I'm going to rejoice even in bad times. Oh, I lost my job, but God is good. It's really easy. Anybody notice that in the beginning? And then, then you, you stay in, 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 in Christianity. It's not like you do really well and then he, he takes you home. It's like, yay, I passed. No, no, you're going to stay. You're going to stay in this Christian thing for a long period of time. And in that long period of time, somehow we stop going to church so much. Maybe don't go to the Bible studies as often. You're not going to catch me on the Monday night prayer. I'm probably not going to be reading. I don't really think I'm journaling anymore. All of a sudden, for some reason that escapes us, it appears as if the original enthusiasm of obedience and the beginning of our relationship with God has waned to some type of old to-do list. It happens to us all. And when that to, and everything becomes a to-do list, now you've lost your zeal. You've lost your passion for it. Now you want them old fuddy-duddies sitting on the in front pew. So I'm saying, well, you wait till life hits you. Then we'll see how happy you are. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Now you're discouraging the new people. New people, yeah, shut up. You don't even know nothing. Just wait. <laughs> Won't even let them enjoy their new honeymoon with God. Just, just can't do it, can you? you, you just, just ruthless. Right? So the idea here is that something has happened that causes us over time to lose that same type of enthusiasm, that spark, that joy, that passion that we originally had when we got saved. What is this thing that is missing is our joy and how do we get it back? The answer is worship and obedience. I know, I know, I know. You're thinking, the answer is I'm gonna read more. Mm, if reading is a part of your obedience. The answer is, I'm going to sing more, mm, if singing is a part of your obedience, right? I'm going to turn off my TV. Mm. If turning off your TV is what? A part of your obedience. If not, it's good that you're doing it, but it's not going to reignite the passion you had in God. All you're going to do is lose a couple pounds. All you're going to do is prioritize better. All you're going to do is have your clothes washed more. So, you know, you're going to tidy up things in your physical life, but it will not constitute as a new passion for you and God. The solution to this, returning to our first love, is found when we continue in worship and obedience. If you lost it, you need to look at what happened to my worship and where did I disobey? I know you don't want to hear this because you think it's some trauma. It's, some, it's something that happened in my past. It's, 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 it's everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how it got there. The solution for you dear sir, is the same as it is for anyone else, and that is to worship and obey. You lost your passion in God, then where were you, where were you, where did you start being disobedient? What did you get lax in that you weren't lax in before that you know God said for you to do? And the minute you make changes in that, instantly you feel like you have a renewed sense of worship and connection with instantly the minute you hang i don't want this no more and you hang up the phone Woo! hallelujah instantly you get this new love all of us yes. 
Every single time. You have experienced this. But Satan likes to tell you it ain't that serious. You could still love God and, 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 and keep this. And you'll try it. You'll try to go to church as a part of your obedience and keep that side piece on the side that ain't. And, it, and it'll work for a minute, right? It'll work for a time, yes? Now, God already told you to let that go, but oh, no, I'm, I'm sure we just stop having sex and we could keep it, and that's fine. But God already said let it go. But you, So then you're going to try to be obedient for a time, and then your willpower is not going to be sufficient for you to continue in that. And so now you need the spirit of God, truly. Help me, Lord, I don't want to sin. Help me, Lord, I don't want to sin. Help me, Lord. You're asking for all this help to not sin, but he actually told you how to cut it off so you wouldn't even be requesting all of this help. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I already told you, let that go, leave that law, and walk away. Now you like, I, you felt like over time you can keep doing a little bit of it. And now you got complacent in it, coming to church, doing the basics that you're supposed to be doing while you're doing this other thing that only you and God know that this is not a part of what he told you to do. And you forgot that he originally told you to let that go. You just forgot. You forgot the day that you felt pricked in your heart. Like, oh, is this pastor talking to me? Uh, you know, uh, never mind. Maybe it ain't. You forgot, right? And you've been living with it for so long. You don't even recognize what your problem is. Then you come to me, Pastor, I just don't know about God sometimes. You know, my whole heart, you know, I just, what's the point of all this? And I'd be like, hmm, what you been doing? What you been doing? And then you give me this, well, I ain't done that in a week. <laughs> you ain't done it in a week. That's funny. Is it still in your house? Oh. Because <laughs> now you have something that is, that, is that is working against your character and nature of God. Like you, you're keep, you keeping it and falling into sin is not as big as a problem as the work that it keeps doing as you hold on to it. It, it eats away at who you're supposed to be even if you're not sinning. It weakens your faith. It weakens areas of obedience. It weakens your passion for God, even though you say, but we ain't doing that no more. Yeah, but you still, still holding on to it. Still holding on to that, right? ain't you, ain't you? And that becomes conflict and begins to tear up who you're really supposed to be and how you're supposed to move with God. Don't, look at me, all eyes. Everybody's going to be uncomfortable. If you want for me not to single you out, just look at me. When you do this, I'm already looking at you. But if you go, amen, you just blend right on in. Like nobody even know. Nobody even know. And for some of you that are in a precarious place in your life, you not looking at me, you're inviting me to come to you. Because what you're showing me is that you're going to stay in your feelings rather than moving by the spirit to hear what you need. Because when you look off, you're trying to break away from what I'm saying and to really get into what you're feeling. But when you're in a precarious spot with God, you need his word, not your emotions. So I try to look at you to say, pay attention. This is for you. All right? Okay. All right. Amen. We all could be in the same building. 
have the same presence of God experience and leave and fall, in this, and fall back into our mess. Last Sunday, we had a Holy Ghost encounter after church. People left and still fell back. Other people was looking at them like, how? what happened? How? This is amazing. Both encounters. But somebody's heart was in a different place. All right? You can only be here right now. You can only be here right now. Whatever you, whatever you didn't do before you got here, don't worry about that. Whatever you got to do when you leave, don't worry about that. You need to be right here right now. I'm going to show you why in just a second. In the Old Testament, God was very specific about how he wanted Israel to worship him. Yeah. Right? Very specific. Make this temple, these curtains, these cubits, this picture, this emblem, and then take this lamb, this dove, this grain, a little salt, some oil. I mean, very specific about how he wanted, to, he wanted them to worship him. And when the people strayed from that model and the protocols that he established through Moses, uh, when they strayed away from that, things went very badly. What I'm trying to show you here is that God has always ordained that worship and obedience are one and the same. Let me do it again. In the Old Testament, he was very specific about how he wanted them to worship. Yes? And when they disobeyed those things, things got bad. Hello? That means that worship and obedience, when God gave it to us, they were one and the same. Yes? Yeah. Now I'm going to sing a song and then go smoke. Them, 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 them not. So I worship God. Did you? Or did you have an emotional encounter? Because if you did not do it the way he said for you to do it, then he did not receive it. And if he did not receive it, then all you did was cut up a dove. burn some calories from dancing, right? Because he only accepts it the way he told you to give it. That's why people raise their hand and they shout because they can feel God wants something from them. They're not try- you should not be trying to please anybody else in that idea. And that should represent some of the choices you made throughout the week. I'm celebrating some of the things I let go of. Some of the temptations I walked away from. Some of the mindsets I wrestled with and came out of. So now I'm praising God because I see back there what I was doing all week. And this is just another form of that same worship. So if you're not presenting to him your heart the way he said, he's not receiving it. It's just not how it works. Now we can present our hearts through Christ. But at a more... mm, Applicable level. Let's look at that. Yes. So obedience and worship are synonymous to God in the way that he presented it to us. Let's look at some. Let's look at Jesus's encounter with obedience and worship. What if I told you that the roughest season of your life, even if it's still ongoing, was designed by God for you to establish 
your identity and to empower you for obedience. I'm going to say it again. What if I told you that the roughest season of your life that God brought you to it that he might establish your identity and empower you for obedience. Hello? The roughest season. I didn't ask who calls the roughest season. The time where you're by yourself. Felt all alone. Enemy was all around you. Maybe he tried to be in you. I don't know your situation. But you can attest that that was the hardest point and or is the hardest thing in my life. What have I said to you and could prove in scripture that God led you to that place that he might establish your identity and give you the power to be obedient? Most times we think that the power to be obedient comes apart from that season. And we don't recognize that it comes in that season. It comes in that season. That's where it starts. Right there. Let's look at uh, Mark, Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read uh, around the verse uh, 13. I'm going to pick a couple verses there, and we're going to move through chapter 4. When you're there, say amen. All right, great. So around verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has just come to John the Baptist to be baptized and to fulfill all aspects of righteousness. Um, and when Jesus, verse 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water from the water and behold I don't know what I was doing there all right and behold the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased that's a great it's a great moment okay all right it's a great moment now Christ being the son of God and the son of man has also afforded us to be children of God. Yeah. Right? He's the firstborn of many brethren. We're the many brethren. So we can say that we are sons and daughters of who? Okay. This is, this is, this is, this is important. Okay? All right. So he says, this, my, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. A voice from heaven came and say this. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if, underline that, you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Stop right there. What I would like you to recognize is Satan did not come until after Jesus completed his fasting. After he spent a lot of time with God. 
Because that's not what you think. You think when I speak enough, speaking out all this time with God, I ain't going to have that problem no more. I'm not going to be tempted no more. I'm not going to fall into that no more. And you are absolutely surprised at the fact or the idea that after I had all this encounter with God and this spiritual awakening that me, myself, I could ever go back to something like that. We thought that the fasting was to solidify. And I don't ever have to go back to that no more. And then when you yourself go back to it, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> Should we crucify Christ afresh? I don't know. I don't, how am I supposed to get out of it? If I, that, the best thing that could have happened happened and I still went back. Okay, I am lost. How does this work? Okay, does anybody, anybody check the system out? Is the system working for you, Pastor? I, don't, I think my system is broke because I know I, <laughs> I, know I love the Lord. I thought I did. And as much as I could okay as much as I could pastor and then I had this wonderful encounter and then I went back to something that I is it a demon it's a demon on me pastor it's a demon on me it's my childhood my life my history my past it's, it's got me all it's got me all entangled okay pastor I'm entangled with my past and I need to be delivered mm -mm, mm -mm. Jesus was tempted by Satan or Satan came to tempt Jesus after 40 days of fasting after a spiritual time with his father, a time of sanctification and dedication, where him and God were like, yes, you done told everybody I was your son. You done let it be known who we are. I love you. And they just, just loving on each other out in the wilderness. This is so amazing. Loving on each other so much, he's not even that hungry until it's all done. They like, oh, I'm so hungry. Then Satan comes. And he comes with the statement of if you are. A spiritual encounter with the father is supposed to make sure you have the answer to the question, if you are. Y'all don't want to help me today. You thought the spiritual encounter was so you can get goosebumps on your left side. You thought the spiritual encounter was so that you could shout and feel the presence of God and speak in tongues. That spiritual encounter of the presence of God was that you might have the ability to answer the question when Satan comes knocking, if you are. If you are. Christ's affirmation of who he was to others was on was at the baptism. When we get baptized in Christ, our affirmation of who we are is there. And every time we pull away and sanctify ourselves in order to talk to Father, we should be getting more affirmation of who we are. So that we can answer the question when Satan says, if you are. If you are a man of God. If you are called to pastor, if you are called to be a minister, if you are going to be a good mom, if you are going to be a good dad, if you are going to make a good husband, if you are going to make a good wife, if you are going to be successful, if you are going to start that foundation, if you are going to have that, if you are, if you are, if you are. And that question is repeated in your life over and over and over again with the hopes that you will one day pass. That you'll pass. That you'll know the answer. Is I am. I am everything that God said I was in this time. I, I am that. Because that's what he's trying to figure out. He says, if you are the son of God, now let's put that back on us. If you are the child of God, then take these stones since you're hungry 
and turn him into a loaf of bread. Now, peep the example. When he questions your identity, more specifically, he's questioning if you know your identity. I assure you, Satan was not confused about who Jesus was. He just did not know if when he came down and was born as man, did God reveal to him who he was? Or did he empty that of himself as well, according to Romans? He emptied himself by taking on humanity, right? Was that a part of the emptying? Do you know? Or do you get the same amount of doubts as everybody else out here? You know, to what extent is this? So if you are, the question now is, if, do you know who you are? Has it been revealed and have you accepted it? Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. It does not matter how many people prophesy that you're going to be this. It doesn't matter how many people tell you you're going to be that. It does not matter how many times they say it. If you do not receive it, it's pointless. Because the only one that has to live it out is you, and you're not receiving who you're supposed to be will inevitably mean you will not live it out. So Satan's test is, do you know who you are? And what I love that he always seems to attach to this is the idea that if you are that, then you shouldn't be hungry. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me. If you are who God said you are, then you shouldn't be in pain. Y'all don't want to help me. If you are who God said you are, then you shouldn't be grieving. If you are who God said you are, then you shouldn't be hurt. If you are who God said you are, then you shouldn't be lonely. If you are who God said you are, then you shouldn't be without. If you are who God said Somebody about to get free today. If you are these things, that just, that if, if you're that, then, then you, should, you, should, you shouldn't be hungry. And so what do you do? Not what Jesus did. You question. Am I really going to be that? How can I when I'm, I'm struggling with this? If I'm really going to be that, how can I when, I when I can't seem to shake this? And how, because I can feel my own hunger. Y'all don't want to help me today. You are still hungry. And Satan knows that you can feel the flesh that you're in. And he says, but if you are a son of God, far be it for you to have to experience that. You should have to feel with them, build, build with them desires. Not if you are a child of God. You shouldn't have to still be hurt. You shouldn't have to, not if you are a child of God. And so he says to Jesus, well, the test to determine if you are who God said that you are is that you can end your own hunger. You can supply your own need. If you're a child of God, then, then you don't have to be in pain and you can do something about it. If you're a child of God, then you don't have to suffer and you can do something about it. All you got to do is name it and claim it. All you got to do is lift it up and pull it down. All you got to, come hello. Now use your faith. Y'all don't want to help me today. Use your faith in God to get your needs met. Rather your faith in God to know who you are. The sin of this new prosperity message is it tells you to use your relationship with God to get bread. Yeah. 
to use your relationship with God to get a new house, to use your relationship with God to get a new car, to use your relationship with God to get a husband or a wife. Use your relationship with God because if you are a child of God, then surely he wouldn't want you to not have this. And if you're called to do these kind of things, then of course you got to be married. If you're called to do these kind of of course you got to have kids. If you're called, so maybe you need to go ahead and use your faith to get that done. Maybe you need to use your faith to accomplish that. To solve this thing in your life. It's tough. So what is Jesus' response? I don't think he accepted this. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Christ, answered, it is written, man shall not live by what? Bread Bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Obedience in this case is requiring that Christ does nothing but wait. The son of God, after communing with the father and having this wonderful mountaintop experience where everybody knows who he is, he is now hungry. And choosing to stay hungry. Could this be a prerequisite of him choosing to remain on the cross? Of rejecting making bread for himself that he might become what? The bread of life? What if your wilderness experience, what if the hardest season of your life, God led you to it that he might establish your identity and empower you to be obedient? Stone down. (laughs) The idea, as Christ said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is something else he said later when he was serving on his earthly ministry. He said, my meat, the disciples were trying to get him to eat. He hadn't eaten, he hadn't eaten in a while. You know, people so loving, you need to eat. Ah, I don't need to eat. I got bread, I got meat that y'all don't know nothing about. They're like, did you give him a plate? I didn't give him a plate. Did you make him a plate? He said somebody made him a plate. He's like, ain't nobody made me a plate. I am satisfied by doing the will of God. Christ understood in 40 days of fasting and you had an encounter where you should have understood that in his presence, you don't need no water. You don't need no bread. You be in this presence like, oh, I could just live here forever. My knees don't hurt. My back don't hurt. My arm don't hurt. This is amazing. Right? Christ recognized that the only thing that truly satisfies us is the completion of God's will. Now, think about it. There is no satisfaction that you could ever have like satisfying God. You made the relationship. 
got the marriage, and still, it ain't satisfying. You know how we know? Because you keep asking your mate to do more, be more, say more, give more, show more. They can't ever do enough for you. Do more, say more, be this. Why can't you stay this? Why can't you clean that? Why ain't you paying this? You're always asking for somebody else to do more because what they're doing is still not satisfying you. Most of us are adults. In other ways, you have to take things up to abominable levels that you might be satisfied because it's still not enough. Have you not learned yet that the thing you are missing, you're not going to find in the bed? You're not going to find in the bottle? You're not going to find in the pill? You're not going to find in the plant? You're not going to find in the bank account? You're not going to find in the four walls? You're not going to you're not going to find that there. Dear children, you should have learned this by now. You are only truly satisfied when you fulfill the will of God. Check it. To those of you who are believers, if you're not believers, you should investigate this and become a believer today. Truly. You're only really satisfied then. You're like, ooh. The Lord tell you, you know, I need you to pull over and give that homeless person. Jewel and I were on our way somewhere. And we were running late. And we saw this homeless man in the middle of the suburbs. Man who's in, we're in a suburb and manicured, okay, by the country club. I mean, nice, okay. He just walks up and just lays on the grass. We were like, now we've passed by so fast. And both of us looked like, did you just see this homeless man lay on the grass? And so I was like, oh, we late. Oh, we late. And I was like, all right, doesn't matter. We can be late. Let's just turn around. Now, to turn around, I had to go like another two miles because there was no turnaround. Sp- the medium's got you blocked in. So now I'm trying to do this good thing, and I'm like, oh. This three minutes has turned to 10 minutes. We, we whip around, and I'm like, and we couldn't find him. We're like, oh, just my luck. See, see how you do me? See how you do me, Lord? I'm trying to do the right thing. Bless the man, and now we can't even find the man. The man ain't even here no more, okay? Because we went so far down, now he's gone. Maybe somebody else blessed him. I don't even know. But now I'm more late. And then we see him. And he was unaware that anyone saw him or would stop. He was so surprised. He was like laying on the grass like, me? Most homeless people like, thank you. They right there. He was like, you, you came to see me? Yes, Ricky Bobby. We came to see you. He had an armband on from the hospital. I said, now you, you take care of yourself. He said, yes, ma'am. Y'all be blessed. I said, all right, you be blessed too. All right, we pulled off, kept going. And both our insides was like, we did that. We did that. We, we know what the Lord wanted, and we did what the Lord wanted, and that man, he could see the Lord, how the Lord blessed him and watching over him. We did, and we just felt like we is bossing on this, okay? And I'm sure we do greater things than this, I would imagine. But I cannot find anything greater than to reach someone who does not anticipate the move of God to find them and to bring a move of God to them. There is, that's why I do what I do. 
I do this because I love watching people who don't expect to have a real encounter with God to actually have an encounter and get what they need from God. I'm like, you, this is my meat. When you think you're exhausted, you just keep going. When you think you're hungry, you don't even, you forget to eat. You can trust the people that trust you to eat. I forgot. I completely forgot. I forgot to eat. I forgot. I just forgot all those things. I got carried away. Why? Because you are really satisfied by something you never thought you'd be satisfied with. It feeds you in such a place. Now, bear in mind, he just fasted 40 days and 40 nights, indicating that he in no ways needed the food. You know, I got the good three days. Good three days. And that's with water, you know. You gonna take away water? Oh. <laughs> you got a day. <laughs> Maybe a couple of hours. 40 days, 40 nights. He knew that his body could be sustained by God. What if you knew that your basic necessities, the things that you got to have so bad, could be sustained by God? If you knew that, then when Satan comes to tempt you, ain't no way you got to take that. And what is he tempting Jesus with? He's trying to figure out if you know who you are. Satan wants you to get confused about who you are because of your current pain. To get confused about who you are because of your current situation, your current failures, your current depression, your current loneliness, that maybe you're not who God said you were supposed to be. And maybe you won't be who God said. Hello, somebody? In my experiences, I've talked to people, and I have to tell them this all the time because they don't get it. They say, Pastor, I can't be doing this right because I'm, I just, it just hurts all the time and, 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 and I can't. And they try to find up new solutions to get rid of some pains that they have. Pastor, I decided to just shut up in my room and not talk to nobody. Pastor, I decided to, to just work out. I, I decided to, I'm going to go to the gym twice a day. I'm going to do two a days, Pastor. I decided, I decided I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat no more foods that don't come from the earth. I'm just gonna, if they don't come grown, I'm not going to eat them, Pastor, because I feel like, and what they're really saying is I have noticed a problem in my life that I don't think could give me an abundant life. And so I have found a way to address that. Ooh. I, I'm going to do it again. I've noticed a problem in my life that I don't think I could keep without it causing problems to life. Right? And I found a way that I think could solve that. And when you, when you hear it, you're like, what's wrong with that? Okay, you found a way. You found a way. There is only one way. And if the Lord did not tell you to go that way, then you have found a bad way. And not only that, but he is not over there. I'm going to show you why that's important in a minute. You found your own way. And it sounds noble, doesn't it? No, it's stupid. Because the truth of the matter is, you may have prayed and asked God, take this away. Remove this from me, right? 
and he hasn't. And then you think with your bright eye self, okay, that I can come up with a solution to meet this need because he did not give you one. And you completely ignore the idea that maybe he did not want to give you one. Maybe he didn't want to remove that pain. Maybe he didn't want to remove that hurt. Maybe he didn't want to remove that suffering at this present time. I let you be hungry that I might humble you. I let you be lonely that I might humble you. I let you be angry that I might humble you. I let you be broke that I might humble you. I let your knees hurt, your back hurt. I let your bank account be low that I might humble you. You're too prideful. You think that anything you don't like should be addressed right away. And that you are the center of the entire universe. You need to be humbled. I'm the center, God says. Things go around me, not you. I include you in it, but I'm going to need you to know your place. In order to serve someone, you have to be humble. It is impossible to serve any human being without humility. By nature, to serve means you have to be humble. Jesus came to serve and not to be served, so he humbled himself. If you're going to serve God, cut some sheep, cut some lamb, sprinkle some salt, whatever the rules are for worship, right? In order to do that, you have to know that he has authority, and he told you how to do it. So thus, you have to do it the way he says. And that means humility. So when you're hungry and you decide to find your own means of bread, you've negated the whole process of being humble that you might serve God the way he told you to serve him. Can you serve me single? No, no, no. Can you serve me single? No, 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 no. Can you serve me single? Can you serve me single and holy? Can you serve me single and holy? Can you serve me single and holy? Can you serve me broke? Can you still serve me without money? What he's saying is, can you humble yourself to know and to live in such a way where I am in charge? Sit on down. The thing we don't like about obedience is it says somebody has authority. And when it comes to God, you cannot serve him if you do not accept his authority. So if he didn't tell you to make that bread. I think the answer is clear. At this time of your life, he wants you hungry. Yeah. And what's wrong with that? Far be it for you, huh? To be hungry since you're a child of God. Far be it for you. Why wouldn't God want this for me? I mean, I'm saying, like, is this what that God is supposed to be a good God? And I just feel like if I can't have this, he can't be a good God. Let's keep reading. I'm going to show you something else about this. <laughs> Y'all, like, who does that? I don't do that. I've never said anything like that to God. Who is pastor imitating? I don't know. That's pretty funny, but it was never me. <laughs> what you got to hate is there's somebody in this room, and that was you just 
just days ago. That's how specific God is. If he could be so specific to make sure you got here on a certain day to hear a certain word, I assure you the time that you are hungry or without were specifically planned by him. If times in general are planned by him, when a hair falls off your head, you can best believe that your times of suffering, the ways that you will suffer, how long you will suffer, that God was intricately involved in it and we give him glory knowing that he was. This wasn't a coincidence, it didn't just happen. You led me here in the time, this is my time of hunger. This is my time of loneliness. This, whatever it is, why? Because what you want is what I'm going to do. And if you told me not to eat this, don't make this bread, I'm not making the bread. Number one, Satan just presented that. I don't know if I want to fool up with him. It's us, me and you, nobody else. No, I'm not eating that bread. Very simple, right? Let's look at the next one. I got to go. All right, the next thing. <laughs> Say he's not done, all right? Then the devil, verse 5, chapter 4 of Matthew. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, here we go again, the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Now, let's look at Satan's. Testing. Again, he wants to know, son of God, do you know who you are? Daughter of Christ, do you know who you are? Like on one end, do you know about your physical life? But now he's saying, do you know about your spiritual life? Like there is an identity physically. You're a father, a mother, a cousin, a sister. You work for this company. You're an employee. Like these are identities of you physically. You're black. You're white. You're Latina. Whatever. Those, those are physical identifications like bread to the body. Physically, do you know who you are moving around in this earth? Or are you going to try to get all your physical needs met, even if that's not what I want? Then Satan says, but okay, fine. You won't make the bread because you're the son of God, supposedly. Right. Now he's saying, but do you know who you are spiritually? I'm going to put you in the church, in the highest position of the church. And if you are who you say you are, then you could fall and be perfectly fine. How many leaders test this? Move in the ranks of being in the highest positions of God's church. And then Satan says to them, but if you fall, he'll uphold you for their sake. He'll uphold you. See, by the time you get to this leadership status, you've got to be determined to serve God with or without people, to be holy with or without people watching you or not watching you. Whether they watching you or not is no longer the problem. The problem is that ain't nobody seeing me. Uh-uh, I'm on myself. <laughs> Most of my transparency is an act of service and humility. It says, look, see my life, check my house, 
Here it go. Finance team, how much money I get? There it is. There you have it. Everything's out in the open. Why? Because it's a service. Right? And then it keeps me. You know, the highest levels of authority, it's very hard to find accountability. So you have to create ways to hold yourself accountable because you don't want to, you don't want to be the one that falls. Being presumptuous enough to think that God won't let that happen to you. Mothers think that God won't let that, that he won't let that happen to me. Daddies think he won't let that happen to me. Aunts, uncles, he won't let that happen to me because, 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 because. Now your sin is presumptuous. That somehow he's going to move everything to grab you. But that's what you think. Because when you go to sin yet again, you are being presumptuous to think that this time that you sin, you won't lose your mind. You assume that that weed ain't laced with nothing. Where the growing population of those diagnosed with schizophrenia are black women in their 20s from marijuana smoking. And you assume that that won't happen to you. Did God tell you to smoke that? That's what, you, that's what we need to know. That's what, did, did God say do that? That's what we need to find out. You presume that this time if you call him or her, that I'll just repent. I know I'm not going to like how that feels, but... That's what I'll do. You assume, you presumptuously assume before you do it that God will forgive you and have your back. See, yeah, he will forgive you, but you assume that he will let you get back to your right mind. That this time you can walk out without getting your head beat in. This time you'll be fine. He's not going to force himself on you. You make these assumptions that, you will, that God will allow you to be in a state of clarity to ask for forgiveness. That he will allow your heart to stay soft enough to come to the altar. You assume wrongly. And some of y'all have been in seasons of sins where you knew you wasn't coming to the altar. And you knew God was saying come to the altar. Did you calculate that when you were sinning? Did you calculate that the Lord will want to challenge your heart and you would not have the ability to leave that relationship alone? Wouldn't have the ability to hang up the phone. Wouldn't have the ability to turn down the drugs. Wouldn't have the ability to walk away. You assumed that his angels would come and catch you before your, your foot hit a rock. Because you've seen all his goodness. So you think there ain't no Christians that ever got addicted to crack? No Christians that were ever raped. No believers that ever got cancer. Are you better than they? But you approach it with so much presumption that he will send all his angels to come rescue little old you. Because y'all this tight. Y'all this, if you was this tight, would sin be in the conversation? So we can say emphatically that you and him are not this tight. Now, the Lord loves everybody because he is love. But I must admit, he has favor. And I've recognized in my life that I get the recipient of a lot of his favor. And when people say, don't you want to sin? I love you. Uh Uh-uh. Number one, I love the Lord. 
Number two, ain't nothing you can give me that he can't give me off the top. Off the top. It is hard for anybody to really have to be my husband because, in essence, I already married the Lord and I accept your shortcomings. I accept them. Nobody wants that kind of person. They want a woman to say, you need to do better. You need to do, y'all can have this conflict about you trying to be a better man and she's trying to be a better wife and that conflict is how y'all grow. See, I'm not even gonna give you that conflict. I'm just gonna say, it's on you. <laughs> it's on you. <laughs> it's on me, it's on you. We are held accountable to God himself. I'm not not cheating on you because of you. I'm not not cheating on you because of him. <laughs> you thought it was you. That's so funny. That's sweet. That's sweet. No, it's my love for him. No, no, it is. It is. That's nice. <laughs> I love God. And with that, I know I'm the recipient of his favor. I've seen it over and over and over again. Sheena brought it to my attention. The pastor, the Lord always work out stuff for you. I said, you know what? He does. I'll be in the middle of my problem. She'd be like, but he always fixes it. You know what? He does. He does. I ain't even going to lie. I ain't never seen a problem he did not fix in my life. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what Satan does not want you to have. That type of relationship with God. So in this example, let's look again. All right. Satan takes him to the highest peak of, of a temple. He says, now fall. Willingly fall. Willingly fall. And watch God keep you. Now, I want you to look at something here. First of all, Satan knows scripture. He knows it so well that he knows what verse to give you to make you think that what he's enticing you to do is biblical. Why are people preaching this? Okay. Because this is what happened. Y'all come to me with a verse like, well, I saw this and I felt like the Lord was telling me that's not what, that's not, that's not what he's telling. That's not even... That's not even, that's not even who he is. That's not even how, but it says so right here. Ooh, ooh, you get argumentative. Ooh. <laughs> you must really want this thing, don't you? You must really want this thing. Now I got to break it down. Like between you and I, who do you think has any skill set in examining scripture? Just between you and I. But you can't see that because your passion. You think you know everything, Pastor the Lord? I got the spirit too, and he can speak to me. Mm. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. If, hey, if that's what you think it says, go ahead. But if I'm right, I will see you will see this again, this problem in your life. Because the Lord is true. Satan knows enough scripture to give you a scripture on why you could have this particular desire of your heart. Just because it's in the Bible don't mean it's for you. 
That's the problem. But it's also the solution Satan left out of this conversation. When he decided to quote scripture, he removed the solution. Like if you feel like that you're not looking at the scripture correctly, right? And I, you don't even know that, that I'm all off my theology, right? There is a part of this verse that Satan did not quote that would keep you safe, even if your interpretation of scripture is wrong. Let's go there. Let's look at Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12. This is what Satan is quoting. Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12. When you're there, say amen. Okay, nobody's there. All right. Um, this is what say. I'm just going to filibuster to you guys. I'm so glad you're using actual Bibles. You're making me so proud. I don't mind digital, amen. but the internet will go out. And there go your word. You say, it's hidden in my heart. Is it? Did you hide it all? Did you hide it all? <laughs> all right. Are you there? Psalms 91. Amen. Verse 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. What line is missing? To guard you in all your ways. The saving grace, in case you ever get a misinterpreted scripture that satisfies desires that you are not quite sure if that's really what God wants. That the thing that saves you is not that the angels will stop you from dashing your foot. Is that like the children of Israel, there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There's something that is guarding you in a way that you're going. Maybe it's your pastor saying, hey, I don't care what you read, but I don't think that's a good idea. This is guarding you until you can get clarity and reduce your argumentative spirit. Hello, somebody. There's a way that he keeps you in. When you decide to go outside of that guarding, then of course you're going to dash your foot. But if you stay in the garden, if you stay where he is leading you and protecting you, he's not going to let that happen. He's not going to let that happen. You might stumble, you know. You might feel the fear of falling. Oh, I'm about to die. See, what I'm trying to show you is crashing down and hitting the ground is not the same as experiencing falling. People that jump out of a plane with a parachute, for a time, they're only doing it because they like to feel of falling. And they have to endure that feeling of falling till they get to a certain altitude. And only at that altitude can they pull the ripcord for the parachute to open. Mm -hmm. But you're going to have to endure that. What I'm trying to say is just because you are suffering does not mean you're actually going to hit the ground. Satan cleverly left out, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways, to keep you hedged about, to illuminate the path for you. I'm pretty sure a pillar of fire will let you know which way you should be going. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a cloud, a pillar of clouds with a beaming sun, 
in a flat desert, I'm pretty sure you'll know where you're supposed to be going. I'm pretty sure on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock and the preach word is going forth, I'm pretty sure you know exactly where you're supposed to be going. As I represent the angel of this house, guarding you through his word in all of your ways. So when you decide even after this to go and step into some other stuff, you're going to dash your foot, okay? You're going to dash some other pieces beside your foot, okay? It's not going to go well. Satan left that part out. Isn't that interesting? So slick. <laughs> go, going back to Jesus' example, this encounter, Satan is also trying to get Jesus to risk something. Okay, turning bread, stone to bread, that is not a real, I mean, not really, your life is not on the line, okay? If I put you at a high top, the top of a pinnacle of a, of, a, of a temple and tell you to throw yourself down, you're risking your what? Huh? You're risking your life, right? Satan ups the ante to see if you really know who you are by seeing if you will risk something you can't fix. You are going to risk something you cannot fix. By the time you throw yourself off, what you going to do then? Wave your arms. It's done. You can't solve that. And you can't raise yourself up from the dead. He's trying to see if you know who you are, will you risk something you absolutely cannot fix. And by the time he convinces you to do it and you realize it was dumb, it's too late. Like, you can handle being hungry a little bit longer, but now he's trying to get you to risk something that in a split second, everything that you know is gone. One split second, you decide to take your pants off. Everything that you knew about life, your life is gone. Everything. Now you got kids. You got to take pills. I mean, the whole situation is all... And you just look at your old life like, I wonder what if would have happened... One split second that you decide to throw yourself off and there's nothing you could do to stop it. And you're left doing what? Trying to put together broken pieces. Trying to make lemonade out of these lemons. Trying to ask God to sanctify this. Work all things together like you said, Lord, you work all things. Work it, work it together. And the idea here is now that that's all you can do. And he has to work it for your good. Satan tries to say, do you know who you are? You don't really know. Come on, let me raise you up. And in essence, let's not deal with the problem as to why you fell. Let's just keep raising you up in leadership. Jesus. See, that's why our ministry and training program went from 12 to 2. And while we have four trained ministers, licensed ministers, and then went down to 2. Because what we're not going to do is put anything on the line that you cannot repair. I'm not going to raise you up in leadership while I know your character will constantly cause you to fall. That's dumb. As a pastor, when I see you got bad character, sit down. 
Sit down. But I didn't even do nothing yet. Wait for it. Wait for it. There it is. Well, I only did that because I wasn't in ministry. You set me down. No, 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 no. That was already there. You were already ready to give up. You had the ability and the thought in your mind to quit on a consistent basis. As soon as something didn't go right, that's when you wanted to quit. I knew it. The Spirit of God knew it. You knew it. This situation didn't cause you to quit. You. You didn't know who you are. You didn't really have it. You needed the promotions to identify who you really are. You needed the label. You needed the title to really say the type of character and life you're supposed to live. And for that reason alone, you cannot be a minister here. I wish I was going to come back to that point from earlier. You need, you need this affirmation to really know who you are in order to live it? No. Sit down. Well, if I'm not this, who am I? Mm. Good question. Next up, wilderness. All right. <laughs> but that's what it's designed to do. To establish your identity and empower you to be obedient. Jesus is answering all these questions because of a wilderness experience. You know, that's what he's showing us. But he has got to. But he had the wilderness experience and he completed that. He's telling us, if you answer this correctly, if you enjoy and spend the time in this suffering the way you're supposed to, when you come out, you'll know who you are and you'll know how to obey and you'll be able to obey. Rather than feeling like every time you're hungry, I ain't got no choice. Every time I'm sad, this is what I do. Every time I'm hurt, this is what I always go to. Aren't you tired of that? You've got to be tired of that. You've got to be absolutely tired of that. Then learn to obey. Learn. Recognize, I don't need bread. I don't even need bread. I don't need to test God. That's what Jesus tells Satan, his response. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Let's stop right there. Who is testing God? I thought Satan was coming to test you. Right? It's interesting how... We move. Now, these two encounters with Satan can both be found in Deuteronomy, where they were had bread, it was manna, and then um, God said, I humbled you, you know, and see that you don't test me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think, gives us this rundown. In both cases, both the one with the bread, the one with th throwing yourself off, and the one to come throwing yourself off a high mountain, these are all testings of, of God. And Jesus is identifying, you're causing me, you want me to test God, and I'm not going to test God. And I was thinking, like, am I testing God? Or is poor little old me just not sure? Maybe I'm just not sure of who God wants me to be. Maybe I'm not sure because I'm hungry. Maybe I'm not sure because I raised up in the ranks of leadership. But I'm still not sure who God wants to be. And I, I'm not trying to test God. It, it, it's just that I did. Let's look at that. It would appear to me 
and maybe to you, that rather than being uncomfortable in your life's ambiguity, in your life's loss, and in its difficulty, we would instead question the intent and thus the character of God in hopes that he would move to prove himself and ultimately end our pain. Do you want me, want me to do that again? Okay, I said all that to say, let me, let me say, okay, okay. In the testing of the bread, in the testing of throwing yourself down, these are areas, if you are the son of God, it's all about trying, do you know who you are, right? Now, if you fail these tests, what you're really saying is that I would much rather, in my time of being uncomfortable, in my time of being confused, in my time of not having, that I would much rather question the intents of God. Are you loving? Are you a provider? And when you question the intentions of God, you question his character. Well, you just want me to hurt to hurt? That's not his intention. You don't, you don't want me to get married. That's not his intention. Every time you question the intentions of God, you question his character. Now back up. You, dear saint, with the spirit of the Lord, fasting and praying, would rather test God by removing your uncomfortableness, your suffering, your ambiguity, your hunger, as a means to test God. Like, I'm not going to be hungry. If you are who you say you are, then this should happen. You rather put it on God. Is that? I'm not doing it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's try it. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Satan so says, if you are the son of God, he will say to us, if you are the child of God, that you say that you are, that God says that you are, that anybody said that you are, then do these things so you can know, really, if this is who you are. Mm -hmm. Like, then you'll really know. I'm called then you'll really know, right? When we try to do that, we're testing God. We think we're trying to test to get more surety of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. What we're really doing is testing the intentions of God. He wants you to be hungry. And you say, why would you want me to be hungry? What kind of God wants me to be hungry? He wants you to be alone. Why would you want me to be alone right now? What kind of God would want that for me? Why would you? See, now you're in, you are questioning his intentions, and you much rather question his intentions, which is a questioning of his character, that he might try to prove himself to you that I am loving, that I am forgiving. If you ask me to forgive you all your sins, I'll forgive you that again. Just ask me, I'll forgive you. You much rather get him to prove to him yet again his intentions as a means for you to get what you want. If you are God, then, then you, should, you, should, you shouldn't let me have to deal with this or live like this or not have that or have to struggle with this if you really are God. So now you're putting all of his character on the line. Jesus. So he can prove who, who he is to you. Jesus. And you both know that if he does prove this, then you just get what it is you want. Ultimately, I don't want to be lonely. 
So if you really are God, you will solve that problem for me. Ultimately, I don't want to have to not have this in my life. And if you really are God, then you would. Because if I'm your child, then you would do this for me. And if you don't do this for me, then am I really loved by you? People that actually got born again then begin to question the love of God because of a temporary lack in their lives. What type of whoredom is this? You will question the love of God after your commitment to him because of a temporary thing that he did not do for you. I don't know where you're from, but we call that a shh, works. <laughs> it's adultery. Well, I don't see God doing nothing about it, so this is just what I need in my life right now. So as long as somebody can provide those needs, that's where your heart is. Because if you can't get those needs met, see, this is why marriages break up. This is why they don't work. Because the two people in the marriage love themselves more than they love the other person. So the minute you're no longer doing for me, I don't understand why I'm in this. But to death do you part, say, even if you don't do for me, I'm, I'm here for you. I love you. That's different. Now, divorce is a common thing amongst Christians because of one idea. If it no longer serves you. I'm so tired of hearing this phrase on Instagram. If it no longer serves you, you need to get, out, get, your, get it out your life. What? How about if you no longer have an ability to serve it? If you can no longer serve in that area, you should probably go. If you can no longer serve, then you should leave. Right? If, you can, if it no longer serve you. Ain't that the self-centeredest wisdom I've ever seen? So we would rather put everything on the line and question God's character and who he is because of a temporary pain. A temporary thing that we don't have. And we're presumptuous enough to think that he won't let that stay. That eventually he'll come prove himself. Yeah. Every day he got to prove his love to you. Jesus. How long do you think a man, okay, let's take God out of it. How long do you think a man would stay in a relationship that he has to constantly prove his love to you? Men, men say, not long. It's a lack of respect. It's a lack of appreciation. It's a lack of gratitude. It's a lack of intimacy. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of vulnerability. All of that is in that one idea that somebody has to constantly prove their intentions to you. And if they mess up, then you go back to, I knew this is how you were because of a mistake. Oh. Ugh. 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 It ain't working because everybody thinks they got to prove one to another. Got to prove my love. Got to prove it. Got to prove it. Got to prove it. That's why it's not working. But if you both serve the Lord and then from that heart serve one another, a completely different look, completely different look.
The failures of marriages is reflective of the failures of relationships with God. You just manifest what ate right here in the physical. He just put it there. You selfish here, you selfish there. <laughs> you, you needy here, you needy there. You need affirmation here, you need affirmation there. It's just constant, constant, constant. You know how I know? Because I pastor y'all. And the way you treat me, I'd be like, that's what y'all, you and God be doing. That's interesting. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can see what's happening inside by the things that you say and do. Not to shame you, but to say, you might want to get that looked at. <laughs> the Lord got solutions for that. Now you ain't got to live like this. So just so you don't have to be uncomfortable, just so you don't have to be ambiguous, ambiguous about where your life is going or your destiny or your purpose, you would put God's character to the test his intentions to the test. So now he got to carry that for you too. Because you just can't handle not knowing. I, I, I can't handle, I can't handle it being awkward. What? I, I, can't, I can't handle, I can't handle not having no money. You know, as a man, I just, I can't. I'm gonna need you to calm down. I'm gonna need you to relax. And what you don't do is put this frustration as a question to who God is. Because you come to me with them words, I am going to cut you with the word of God like never before. I begin to think, oh, you coming for my God. Now, <laughs> no, no, we ain't going to do that. Now, I am a fan of the Lord. You ain't going to bad talk my God. That ain't going to happen. You're going to take that somewhere else. And you say, well, I know I shouldn't even be telling you this stuff because you're always going to say, exactly. You got something bad to say about my God? You're right. You shouldn't be telling me. Go find somebody else. It's not going to work. I just don't know why the Lord. Ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, I hear tension. I hear tension in what you don't know the Lord, why the Lord won't. Y'all have brought this to me. To which that conversation ends very quickly. If I cannot get you together, I will get off the phone. You ain't going to sit here and badmouth my God to me. Now, this is exactly what Satan tries to pull up next. Last question. Jesus says again to him, again, is it written, you shall not put your Lord, the Lord, your God to the test. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you would fall down and worship me. Stop right here. Well, let's, let's keep reading. I'm going to do it all together. If you will fall down and worship me, verse 10 of chapter 4, then says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan! Exclamation point. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. At this point, you can tell Satan just got on Jesus' last nerve. Technically, his everlasting nerve. Really got on his everlasting nerve. I am done with this. Be gone. Go. Leave. Say less. He says, man will never 
worship anyone but God. We're not supposed to, right? Now, there are certain things that Satan will bring to you that should have an automatic repulsion. Not, not inquiry. <laughs> Never, nevertheless, all right. Um, there are certain things that Satan brings to you that should present an automatic repulsion, not uh, an inquiry. You know, he presents something to you like, but, well, how would that look? But what would that be like? Like, I always wanted to know what that was like, how that tasted, what it felt like, what it looked like. I was always curious. And if you ain't doing that, then it's, I wonder why I have a tendency to think these thoughts. I wonder why I feel this way. I wonder what part of me this comes from. There are certain things that Satan will present to you that should be an automatic ill. Get away from me. Ugh, that's terrible. Absolutely not. Instead, you start holding it like it's a Rubik's Cube. Like, I wonder what this does. No, 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 no. Is this a part of my past? Maybe it's because my dad did this and my mom did that, and maybe all my life I didn't have this, and that's probably where this thought is coming from. <laughs> now you have an issue. You've accepted this. This is what I can't get. You are faster at receiving Satan's mess than you are the word of God. I have to force you to ponder what God is saying to you. But when Satan presents it, it's an automatic, let me see, let me take a closer look. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. Certain things he brings to you, it should be automatic. Get away. Loose here, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Satan, the Lord rebukes you. Not, well, I wonder why am I thinking that now in my life? Is it because, what? If you don't tell him to step off immediately, and you know the only reason you're not is because you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. When you know that, it's like, <laughs> boy, if you don't go somewhere with this. No, 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 no. You automatically know that this is not a part of me. You are trying to plant this. I haven't thought that in years. Exactly. And don't start now. I haven't felt like that in, in months. Exactly. Don't start now. Don't receive it. Reject it. Call Satan a liar and kick him out of your space. If you haven't dealt with that in two weeks, if you haven't dealt with that in three months, if you haven't dealt that with, with that in seven years, don't deal with it now. Remember who you are. You went through this wilderness experience to know that. What's wrong with you? Plenty of weak women. Not the men, I'm sure. Just the women. Think that because a man makes an advance, that they have to thus consider the possibility of a relationship. Yeah, look at it. What, are we supposed to? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, he would just show up from your past 
and be like, hey. And you'd be like, well, maybe I should consider. No. <laughs> Was you thinking about him before then? No, I really wasn't. Did you want him before now? Not really. Well, you think, now I didn't really want him now. So why do you want him now? I don't know, because he just started telling me that he really. This is absolutely, we got to go home. This is absolutely crazy to me that somebody can present a desire that you did not have initially and then you decide to receive that desire and contemplate whether it fits you or not. If you could be duped like that with a man, you could be duped like that with a girl, you can be duped like that with a job, you can be duped like that with a false religion, you can get duped all the time. Because everything presented to you, you take it in. No, no direct filter of who you are. That is absolutely not for me. My dad can tell you, many of men joined this church, left this church, because they said, Minister Hudson, Mother Hudson, I want to marry your daughter. The rules have been set. I will never date any member of my church. Amen. Never, ever, ever, ever. Never, never, ever, ever. If you ever see me date a member of my church, I have lost my mind. And we need to disband quickly. <laughs> Leave me crazy. Y'all go on. Go on. Be free. <laughs> Pastor I lost her mind. <laughs> so a minute the man says, Pastor, I just, I know you, you know, I'm just, I'm just coming on, you know, Pastor, I just, you know, and I just feel that there's a connection between us. It's, it's a pastor sheep connection. I know, Pastor, but I really, really heard the Lord say, now, I'm going to give you one week, dear sir. If you cannot remove all of this from your heart, mind, and conversation, you will have to find another church. That's not allowed. That's an automatic repulsion. No, for me, all my male sheep, they got baby faces and little baby chests, and they just cute little babies, just squishy, squishy. <laughs> Never are they, ooh, you look so good. It's, it's, it's an automatic, it's something not natural about this. It's not that you're not attractive. I think all of my male sheep are super attractive and wonderful people, wonderful, awesome men. But the idea of us together, and I'm sure for them, they go, whoa, what's she going to do, preach? No, you going to be preaching, be preaching in my kitchen. <laughs> Come on to get these grits. Come on to get these grits, baby. Come get this old meal. you know of me <laughs> for a reason <laughs> it is always yes ma'am yes ma'am yes ma'am no ma'am yes ma'am yes pastor no pastor yes it ain't never all right girl what You don't even get an opportunity to know any of that from me. No, that is it's not going down. It's not going down. For your sake and for mine, right? So I can imagine how. <laughs> we got to finish. Come on. When Satan presents something that you would take it in to ponder it rather than absolutely rejecting it because you know that's not a part of who you are. 
I would never question that. And I'm like, well, maybe God did send him. <laughs> I know exactly who I am in the Lord. And in this season of my life, I am called to pastor my sheep, not date them, not eat them, not shear them for their, my own benefit. No, never, not at all. To lay my life down for them with nothing in return to serve, not to be served. But when you think everybody that comes across your path has something to give you, wake up. Everybody that come across your path got something to give you. Like, I, I know you came across because what you going to give me? How you going to benefit me? Satan will use that and send the wrong type of people in your life. And if you check your history, it has happened over and over and over. And on the rare occasion, it was a divine appointment. Because those are rare. Those are rare. You can't receive everything somebody show give you. I was watching the TV, and it showed up, and that's when I knew God said. I had a dream, and I knew. You can't be that receptive of everything. All the time, it's not healthy. And Satan will use that against you. The best bet is to know who you are. Know who you are. Your wilderness experience is designed for that, that you might know who you are. It could be established in you. Pastor, I heard this man, he was saying he wanted to get me with you. Uh-uh. I was like, okay, that's good. Good thing you know who you are. <laughs> I knew a girl who, this man gave her one rose. One rose. I don't know where in your country, but in our country, you can get a dozen roses together already wrapped together, <laughs> packaged together at your local grocery store. You don't even have to go to the floors. You can just get a, you can get a bunch of roses wrapped together. So this means that you gave somebody else the other 11? Did you literally just go and say, all I want is this one? Like, did, what did they say? Two cents? I don't understand. <laughs> when I told this girl, uh-huh. I think, thank you, I think you should let that go. She said, uh-uh, Pastor, it ain't always about that. Oh. <laughs> Fast forward years later, somebody bought her an extravagant gift. She was like, I don't even know if that's sufficient. I was like, do it. Not, not about his gift, but about her finally recognizing her own value. Yeah. Who she is. Now, back in the day, I would look like I was the, the money grubber. Oh, pastor, money grubber. No, I'm trying to tell you I know who I am, and you need to know who you are. Because I'm pretty sure you wouldn't mind going to the store and buying him a case of Coca-Cola. You ain't going to get one can. but you'll accept that from him and want to contemplate how this is a good pick for yourself because you're so afraid of not having that you'll make stone bread. If you know who you are in God, you're not afraid of not having anything because anything that is good for you, the Lord will make sure you get it. All the years of my singleness, 
I'm like, maybe the Lord don't want me to be married. At this point, I'm saying it's a strong possibility. I can see right now why he does not or has not wanted me to be married in this moment. Half the stuff I do, I would not be able to do if I had husband and kids. No. You take up too much time. Y'all know how much time y'all take? Pastor, you could do both. <laughs> what? Do you see my calendar? The amount of administration we have to do? I want him to cook dinner. And I like to cook. When I'm going to cook breakfast. Uh-uh, uh-uh, One of these got to go. It makes sense to me because I know who I am. And I can see how God is orchestrating the things that I need that are best for me. Versus, why won't you let me have it? Why can't I ever? How long am I going to go without it? It's constant. That's not how it's supposed to be. All right. Woo. If, 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 if. All right? If. If you fall down and worship me, then I will give you all these nations. Clearly, the nations already belong to God. And clearly, Christ wanted them, right? But not like this. And not at this cost. Just because you can, you can desire something that God definitely sees as a part of your life, but how you get it matters. How you get it matters. If it's causing you to sin, that ain't from the Lord. If you're not strong enough to resist it, it's not from God. If you need it just to get through the day, it's not from the Lord. It's just not. That came from Satan. Hello? Mm. The nations already belong to God. And thus, the father already told the son, I will give you all these nations. He knew that. R serving Satan, worshiping Satan is not an option. And none of you thinking, no, I wouldn't bow down to worship Satan either. Really? Really? <laughs> really? Because I love when you're so emphatic that I would never bow down to worship Satan. Really? Let's break this down. So... So Satan is presenting nations, a glorious future, one that resonates with who you are at a core level, right? And he's offering this to you, yes? And it can be yours. The only thing you got to do is just bow down and serve him. Now, in order to worship or serve, automatically requires humility. So these two things go together, right? And you're thinking, well, I still went about it on a Satan. Mm. Well, what if I told you that your future, that you desperately know God's called you to at a core level, that you could feel your purpose that God has called you to? God wants me to be a wife. I've always had visions of children. I've always wanted kids. I've always, I always knew. And I could present to you that thing that you know is a part of your future. And I say to you, well, all I need you to do, okay, is serve me. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't serve Satan. Okay. What if he said, I need you to go to work? 
over church. I ain't serving Satan. I'm trying to get that money, Pastor. I'm trying to get that money because, oh, okay. Because what? Because I'm not going to be struggling all my life financially. Oh. Did he present to you a wonderful picture of how you are no longer going to struggle financially? And is it also a part of God's plan for you at a core level, but you decide to serve the job to get the results? See, you're not going to say you serve Satan, but you're going to serve the means necessary to get that result. You'll serve the job. You'll serve the boyfriend, the girlfriend. We submit ourselves, but pastor, we supposed to work. Oh, we definitely supposed to work because the church needs tithes and offerings. But we work as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. And you cannot convince me that the Lord don't want you to have a Sabbath rest with all that you go through throughout the week. You can't convince me that he wants you to be dry and barren throughout the week. That's not. Okay, let's go on. We won't admit to serving Satan, but we will admit to serving ourselves. And when you serve yourself, initially you're going to start off that way, and then you're going to have to serve somebody else to get to the result. On the same turn, if Christ decides that I will only worship and serve God, when he does get the nations, it's after humiliation, it's after suffering on a cross, and it's after time. Then he is rewarded. With all the nations. I love that image and revelation of the kingdom coming down and all the nations and all the tongues bowing before him. And, ah, and I'm like, we knew you was going to be king. You're the king. And you waited. A, a philosopher, but I think his name was uh, uh, something Sosta. First name I don't remember, Sosta. But he talks about um, the happiness of life. And as a modern philosopher, he comes up with this story in an experiment that what if down the road, scientists, super neuroscientists, were able to devise a machine that they can connect electrodes to your brain and put you in this vat of goo, right? And connect these electrodes to your brain and then allow you to experience the joy of, of writing a good novel, to experience the joy of being successful at work, the joy of raising your kids. Like they can just put these electrodes to your head, right? And then let you have the joy of that. How many people would go? How many people say, just give me the feeling of, of having that? I'll float in this vat. And you put these electrodes on my head, and I could feel what a writer would feel once his novel is successful. And I could feel what a husband and a wife would feel once they, they say the I do's. You just put that on my head, and I'll feel it, and it's all fine. Now, knowing you not actually experienced this, right? And maybe in the dream, in the, the state with the electrodes, you don't even know that you're floating around in a vat. And he questions, he says, how many people will get plugged into that? It's a spin on the matrix, right? How many people get plugged into that? And then most of us will say, uh-uh. Why? Anybody know why? Because you know it's not real. You know 
even in that state, if you don't know, right now, if you had to choose to get plugged in, you would prefer to have the experience of writing a successful novel and not just the feeling of writing a successful Am I right? Now, in the vet, you don't even know you're in the vet. You, you feel like it's really happened, like you are a successful writer. But before you get in the vet, you have to choose. Do you just want that? Or do you want the experience of becoming that successful author? How many will pick, pick, people will pick the experience? Absolutely. 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 The thing I love about Christ, and Paul mentions this when he talks about how Christ took on humanity and emptied himself, is he says he was born. There are examples of Christophanies in the Old Testament where uh, Christ came on earth in a different form. A captain of a guard. He just walked around talking to people. You know, angel of the Lord. These are, these are examples of Christophanies, okay? He just put on a form of a human and just walked around. Okay, that's theologically there, Okay. He did not come this time as a Christophany in the New Testament. He was actually born like a baby, like a toddler. It's the events of life that have a way of defining who you really are and enhancing your experience about life. You are truly satisfied when you have the opportunity to flourish and not just the feeling of flourishing. People are addicted to drugs because they have the feeling of euphoria. Yes? But eventually that feeling dies down. And there are a whole bunch of consequences. And even when they have the feeling over and over and over and over again, they can still say that something's not right. I'm dragging myself up, and all I'm doing is sleeping. I'm sleeping my life away. I'm hiding my life away. Even though you have this euphoric feeling as an individual, you still know I'm not really living. So the conflict to come off of this, this drug is, is real. Because even though I'm satisfying this level of happiness I'm getting, I know I'm not really living. The same thing is true of you in that bad relationship. The same thing is true with you in the other sins of your life. Is even though it was satisfying one area of happiness for you, you know in God you're not really living. And all of us would rather pick the experience of becoming the author. The experience of being the parent, not just showing up on graduation. All of us will pick the experience of that because that is how we're designed. And so what Christ figured out about this temptation is man is not just a feeling. We're not just hunting feelings. We are designed to live in time and space and to flourish with events as they occur. And it gives us an overwhelming satisfaction when we actually get the thing. Last, last, last story. Now I have to pick the rest up on Wednesday night. In golf, you know, I'm still practicing, right? Okay, so I went to the uh, driving range the other day, and I'm working on this new swing that my golf coach is showing. And it's really hard to get because my body is already trained in a bad swing. It's different between an amateur swing and some level of 
person that plays for real, okay? That's the difference in the swing. And I can't get it. I, my body does not go to it naturally, all right? Because I've been doing this other swing for so long. So I'm frustrated with that. I'm practicing for a couple hours just hitting balls. The beginning, I was shaping up, all right? And then as I got tired, oh, Nelly, them things was going wrong. And I was mad because somebody did something kind of, I thought, racially biased towards me and then gender biased towards me. And they just start, started stacking. Now I'm tired and a little angry. Now I'm going to show you I can swing. I'm just doing stuff like this to me because you think I'm black. I'm not going to, you know, just, I just went to a place. So now I'm hitting these balls and they are slop. I mean, did you ever play? <laughs> See, golf can do that to you. I don't know. But golf, you can, you can play one day and never played before, okay? And now I'm on the, you've, did you ever play? Did you ever, this your first time? You know, people are coming up to me, what you need to do? Shut up. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what I need to do. What you, I had the same problem. I had to say, shut up. Just, no, thank you. Thank you for that tip. Thank you so much. <laughs> My shots are terrible. And in me, all this anger and frustration and fatigue is bubbling up a storm. Anybody ever been there? I mean, a storm of what the heck is this? And why, after all this time that I tried to do this, and all this time that I served God like this, and all this time, and now this is how it's going to play out like this, that, that anger of being in it? Like, what is this? I thought you loved me. What is this? I thought you were your child. What is this? And you just going to let this happen? Just all of that is just sitting there. And I'm like, uh-oh, you're doing a thing. Now I'm old enough to recognize I am spiraling. I'm spiraling. I'm spiraling. And then the little part of my brain says, hey, hey, remember, you like the journey. Do I? I never liked the journey. This is stupid. It's too much pain in this life. It's too much hurt. I never liked it. I never wanted it. This is too much, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I could feel it. I could feel it bubbling up. And I am going down. I'm preaching to somebody today. Y'all trying to act like I ain't, but I know I am. And I could feel myself bubbling down. Ooh. And you know what I did? I walked off. And I got something to eat. And I caught my breath. And I took a deep breath, I ate some grapes, I thought about life, and then I went back out there. I pushed myself until I recognized that no shot was going to be good at this point. I also know the other problems. I'm hungry. I know that. You know you've got other problems that are also aiding. You're broke. You ain't got no money. This ain't working out. You don't know what your next job going to be. So you know you've got these other issues that are also aiding in the frustration of this thing in front of you, and you refuse to count that in. No, I counted that. Maybe I need to eat first. Take a break. It's hot as all get out, okay? Go sit in the shade. Let's recoup. Eventually, I went back to the driving range. Hit a couple balls, slightly better. Not fabulous, all right? Left on a good note, but I remembered that I enjoyed the journey. Sometimes you just have to catch your breath to remember that you enjoy 
this life. That it satisfies you to be able to take something that was nothing tiny insignificant and then you you grow that thing you you add to that thing you make something you had nothing now you have some you had no education now look at you you know stuff you had nothing you had no money now look you just you like that manja manja eat that you like growing plants and you, you like you like seeing stuff flourish and it is very satisfying to your soul and satan is trying to convince you that all you need is the end result and that is not true it's not true. It's not true. You need more than the feeling of accomplishment. You need the journey. Because you were born here. You were born here. You're not outside of time and space. You in it. This dirt makes up your body. Right? You have a connection in the events of time. That's the only way I can describe it. I'm trying to find another way to help anybody that's left on the ends here. Sometimes the frustration of it all and the pain of it all will make you think that you don't enjoy the process. But when you're in the wilderness with God is different than when you were in the wilderness by yourself. Me taking a break, catching my breath, I really went to talk to the Lord because it was him that I was talking to the whole time. So now I'm talking to him like, okay, you're not my enemy. I'm sorry. Let's just, I'm just tired. I'm a little frustrated. And rather than him remaining my enemy because he's not giving me what I want, I remembered that he's my Lord and my Savior, the love of my life. John chapter 14 Where I put that quote? John chapter 14, somewhere around verse 15. Say amen when you're there. Oh, okay, y'all got there quick, all right. Verse 15 says, if you love me. Hmm? Verse, verse 15 says, if you love me. Verse 23 says, if anyone loves me. Verse 21 says, if you loved me. All those verses give you a new if. One that reveals who you are and a way to accomplish that through Christ. Like Christ satisfied the wilderness experience. And then he gives us this new experience. And in this new experience, he talks about love. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Stop right there. Tough verse, isn't it? He's saying, if you love me, you'll obey. Now, this particular line can be received in two different ways. The first one is conditional. You can read this to say, if you love me, it's conditional. So keeping Jesus' commandments is how we show our love for him. Yeah. That would be conditional. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey. So... If the condition is, if you want to show your love for me, you will obey, right? Now, this verse in this original could also be read as a correlation, all right? The second is a correlation where one translation says, 
Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. There's two ways that you could look at this verse. As a condition, if you love me, you, you obey me. Or as a correlation, those that love me are able and empowered to obey. You get to decide how you want to receive that verse. When we sin, if I loved you, I would obey you. Doggone it, I don't love you enough. When we're not in sin, it is your, my love for you that empowers me to obey. You get to pick it, and I assure you, seeing it as a correlation is far better than seeing it as a condition. Recognizing that it is your love for God that empowers you to obey. The wilderness experience was so that they might know God. Have a relationship with him. Get to know him, love him, come out, worship, serve. This is all we about to, this is our time. But you're not enjoying this at all. So what if your seasons and the roughest ones, and I know your hardest seasons, you feel the presence of God more. What are you doing with that? Are you using it to establish more of a close love? Or are you using it to rehash the pain? And the lack. Are you on the, if you really are who you say you are, if God is who he says he is with Satan, or are you on the, if you love me? If you love me. Because it takes time for us to recognize that what's causing me to obey is my love for God. Like I said, the other, the, I'm, not, I'm not fooling up with you. Why? Because I absolutely love him. And he is better than you at a lot of everything. So, no. Uh, people think, oh, you so holy. You just try to be so right. You, I'm not even trying to be right. I just absolutely fell in. I'm not struggling to be holy. I fell in. I'm not trying to walk a straight line. I fell in. I'm not trying to be a goody good two shoe. I fell in. I'm not trying to please everybody. I fell in. I'm not trying to be self-sacrificing. I just fell in. I'm not trying to be like Jesus. I just fell in. I'm not trying to always do the right thing. I just fell in. Read this on your own time. We'll talk about it at Bible study. On the, that's John chapter 14. First John chapter 2 says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is a different verse. Indicating that whoever's doing the will, whoever's obeying God is the people that will live forever. That puts a very strong hold on obedience. What I love in the John scripture, as you study it for yourself, and we'll talk about this on Wednesday, is that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, when I go, I'm going to come back. But if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you love me, you'd obey. If anyone loves me, they'll be happy that I'm going to my father. And he keeps showing that you are defined by your love for me. Your best identity is the one where your love for me flourishes through time. That's your best identity. 
Judas, not Judas of Iscariot, not the betrayal Judas, but another disciple Judas. When Jesus says, whoever loves me, the father will come and manifest himself to them. Judas says, how, excuse me, Jesus, um, how is God going to come down here and manifest himself to us? And you go, and then you're going to come back and manifest yourself to us and us alone without everybody else seeing you. He said, yeah, well, I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back. But while I'm gone, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then the Father, he will manifest himself to you. We'll both come and manifest ourselves to you. And Judas says, how? If you show up here, everybody's going to know you're here. It's the second coming. How are you going to just show yourself to just to us in this time? Right? And then Jesus says, if you love me and you obey my father, we will come and make home with you. Jesus says, to any person that loves me and obeys the father, me and the father will show ourselves to you by making a home with you. Part of the problem is we don't know who we are. and We don't recognize that we're on the side of the promise where God wants to make a home with you. He wants to make a home with you. Can you imagine? I can tell you, as one that has received this, and I know I'm not the only one, but it is amazing when the Lord makes a home with you. He says, I will show you and manifest ourselves to you, and we'll live with you. We always think that the goal is for us to finally live with him forever. He is saying to those that love me, and obey me. If this is really who you are, I will come and live with you right where you are. Ladies and gentlemen, I can attest. The Lord bought me a house, and we live in this house together. When my babies bought me a painting, the Lord made sure that a man named Moses and a man named Abraham came and hung this painting about my grief. When I got home the other night after that service, Sister Lakeisha and I could attest there was somebody in that house besides us. Countless times the Lord has revealed that he lives with me. And it is his desire, whether you're in the valley of this season of your life or coming up to the mountaintop, he still wants to live with you and to manifest, to show you who he really is. He could literally live with you. What would your life look like? How would you feel if every day you went home to God? Hey, Lord, I'm, I'm here. Hey. You got in the car. The Lord was already sitting there waiting. Come on, let's go. Where we going? And not only was he just there in your mind, but he would make himself known in the physical places of your life. He would do stuff so you could say, yeah, this is really me. I am really here with you. That is some favor.
The altar is open. I need the Lord to live with me. I have to repent. Maybe you're coming down because you have to repent because I use my wilderness for some stupid stuff. I think I look back at my wilderness experience and I look more at how painful it was than what you were trying to teach me, what relationship you were trying to have with me. And for that, I'm sorry. It was clear when I went into this that I really did not know who I was. And you were trying to give me an opportunity to be established in my identity. And if I squandered that, please forgive me. If I'm currently in that stage of my life right now, where I know I don't know exactly who I am in you, because Satan could give me some if statements, and I tell you, Lord, I ponder them. Some of them I acted on. That's not right. My identity is found in you. I need to know who I am in you because I want to be like you and give the right answers at the right time. I want to be able to wait for the hand of God to provide all of my needs. I want to not feel scared that I might fall back into sin, fall back into my old ways. And this assurance that that won't happen is only found when you show me who I am. If you told me at one point and I didn't value it, forgive me. Can you reawaken that vision? Can you resurrect that image? Satan asked me the if you are question so many times and I succumbed too often. Now I need your blood to wash that away. I need your blood to wash away every lie he tried to get me to receive. Oh, God. He was cunning, but you're greater. Wash it away. Some of these things I have to reject outright because I know they are not a part of who you made me to be. Forgive me for doubting. Forgive me to even thinking was a possibility that I was supposed to serve him. That I was supposed to yield myself to him. That maybe this is just how I am and maybe this is who. Forgive me for even contemplating that foolishness. I know the truest desires that I have at a core level, you will satisfy. You will meet every last one of them. Teach me to love you. I want to wait not because I'm trying to get something. I want to wait because I love you. I want to look at my empty home and I want to say the Lord is here and I'm not alone. I want to get in my car and feel anxious about driving and say the Lord is here. I'm not alone. I want to check my bank account, be discouraged about the amount, and then say the Lord is here. I'm not alone. I want the type of life that the word of God is telling me that I could have with you, and that is one where you live with me and you make yourself known. Manifest yourself to me out of love. I want to obey. 
The part of my life that I've been born into is filled with scarcity and worries and fears, anxieties, shortages of everything. Let me see you. Come on and talk to the Lord in your own words for just a moment. Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us? Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, and he will keep my word, and my, me and my father will love him, and will come to him and make our home with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, talk to him for just a second longer. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, you got to get some stuff out your house. Come on, get it out your heart. Remove some of the ideas that you know you shouldn't be thinking. Father, I pray that you will speak to the hearts of these, your people, and those who are in an identity crisis, that you will define them. That you will show them through your love that through your love they are changed forevermore. Let them see your hand of grace and mercy in their lives and that you led them to this point because you want to make a home with them. You want them to know that you alone fill their cupboards. You alone fill their gas tank. You alone protect them on the highway. You alone work out conflicts within the family. You alone keep, keep their minds. Manifest yourself to them. We give you glory and honor.